Well, good morning. Like Seth said, this morning we're going to really begin our study of the book of Psalms. Last week we did a, a brief introduction, and you can go back and listen to that on what to expect from studying the Psalms. But this morning we're going to dig in by looking at the first chapter in Psalm 1. So you can go ahead and start turning in your Bibles if you would like. We'll read that in here in just a minute. The Psalms are really a book of songs or poetry that these writers have put together that we have here preserved in the Bible. And what we see is how God's people have been encouraged to live for him. What we see are pictures of different stages in life, in different circumstances, both the highs and the lows. We see it all in the Psalms. And this morning in Psalm 1, we're going to take a look at what is called a general introduction. This psalm and Psalm 2 basically introduce the entire book of Psalms, 150 chapters. And so what happens here in Psalm 1 will be the foundation for everything that we build from here. And the psalms are significant because we have to have the mindset that these were the covenant people of God. These were people that had received his grace and were living with him. And here is their response to God. And so that's how we will approach it this morning. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. It's like Proverbs and like the wisdom literature throughout the Bible. We preached on that last year, and you can listen to those sermons to kind of get a sense of what the wisdom literature looks like. But Psalm 1 is a perfect example of that. Basically, the wisdom literature gives us a look into what it means to be wise, what it means to live a wise life. It gives us the instincts for a godly life in this world that is far from godly. And dealing with all the circumstances that we face, both the good things and the bad things. So Psalm 1 is going to describe the person who pursues God who's responding to God's grace by pursuing him and making him their focus. In fact, Psalm 1 invites us all to come in because at the very beginning it introduces the only way to be happy. Who doesn't want to be happy? I think everyone who's ever lived has wanted happiness, including you and me if we're honest with ourselves. I think it's reasonable to say that everyone is pursuing happiness for themselves, in fact. That's why we have entire industries devoted to marketing and entertainment. They hold out the promise that you will be happy if you buy this or that or have this experience or that experience. And they promise an escape from hard realities. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to remove the hard things in life? I just want to be happy. And yet, with honesty, I think if we ask ourselves, our pursuit of happiness hasn't always produced what we wanted. It's fleeting. It doesn't last. And the fact that we live in a country that is freer than anybody has ever been, wealthier than anybody has ever been, 
and has the longest life expectancy of any people of all time. And yet, we're not any more happy, are we? Fortunately, that's what Psalm 1 is here to address. We have problems in our country, even though we are free, right? We see examples of this. Anything like the opioid epidemic to high levels of depression, dissatisfaction with work and family, these are serious problems. And what we see is that freedom and wealth and prosperity, they are not the answer in making us happy. But fortunately, the Word of God addresses the happiness problem, but in a different way. And that's what Psalm 1 is all about. In particular, it's going to describe what's the answer to this longing that we all have in our hearts. So if you found Psalm 1, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So this morning, we are going to look at and study Psalm 1 from three angles, or three things. And if you're taking notes... The page is blank in your your guide, but here are the three headings. We're going to look at two paths, two purposes, and two promises. Two paths, two purposes, two promises. So let's begin by looking at the two paths. The Bible often teaches utilizing contrast. Light and darkness, life and death, old and new. And throughout the Bible, we often see descriptions for two ways of living. That's what the wisdom literature does for us. It gives us the way of the wise and the way of the foolish. And this morning in Psalm 1, we see a clear example of this contrast, of two ways to live. We see the righteous living a certain way, and then we see the wicked. The problem here is that it's either one or the other. And we as readers don't like that, do we? We want a spectrum to fall on. And as long as we're okay in this area, then we feel good. But that's not what the psalmist does here. And that's not what the Bible does. And I think we have to be careful to listen. The psalmist doesn't allow for a third option. What he does is he draws us in and he says, are you assessing your life? Are you looking at which path you're on? Now, this path of the righteous, what does it look like? The first sign of being in the right path, what does verse 1 say? Blessed. This blessed or blessedness is really meaning happy, happiness. 
Okay? This blessedness, or what I'm going to call biblical happiness, isn't merely superficial. It's not a feeling. It's not something that we can control or manipulate. And unfortunately, happiness isn't an algorithm that we can create, type in a few things in, in the code, and make happen. We're not in control of it. It's something given to the one that's on the righteous path. The word itself is used many times in the Psalms. The most closely related here is in chapter 2, verse 12. It says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. But there's 25 other times that this happiness is described in the Psalms. Here's what that looks like. The word blessed is used to talk about the people whose sins are forgiven, about the person who takes refuge in God, the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who gets strength from God, the one who the Lord disciplines and teaches the law, the one who fears the Lord and who seeks him with their whole heart. That's what it means to be happy or blessed in the biblical sense. Jesus also uses this same word, interestingly enough, when he's introducing the Sermon on the Mount, which we've also studied not too long ago in Matthew 5. Nine times Jesus says, blessed, happy. He describes this biblical happiness and the ones who receive it. They are not what we expect, are they? The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, those who are reviled for being associated with Jesus. We see both in Psalm 1 and Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount that happiness isn't merely a result of good circumstances. It's a result of being on the right path of pursuing righteousness. That's the only way to happiness. That's why we won't find it in any other place. There is a path that leads to true happiness, and there's another that looks to be leading to happiness but leaves us empty. I wonder if you've experienced that empty feeling. I know I have. So the psalmist lays out the path of righteousness and the path of the wicked. Not my word, his word. Righteous or wicked, one or the other. But blessed is the man, happy is the man who does what? Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This poetry is beautiful, isn't it? The psalmist uses this climactic parallelism to emphasize the point. He's repeating himself and building one after another. Do you see that? Notice the repetition walking, standing, sitting. It's a progression. It's a comfort level with sin in our lives. It starts off by we're in motion walking. Then we slow down to stand. And then we get real comfortable and we just sit in it. 
I think that's true. I think that's very poignant. The progression is there to say, hey, if you're on the righteous path, you will not be comfortable with sin. You can't pursue sin and have God. This is the natural course, though, for all of us, apart from the grace of God, isn't it? Even if you're a believer here this morning, you know what that's like. We have all been there. And we all still wrestle with that even now, don't we? Apart from the grace of God. But these verbs here, walk, sit, stand, they caution us away from the counsel of the wicked, the way of the sinners in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist is basically focusing and addressing where our fundamental choice of allegiance is made and carried out. The heart. Among the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers, that's the path opposed to God. Again, the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, later in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses an image to say similarly with the wide and narrow gates and makes the same point. Here's what he says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So what have we seen so far in the psalm and and even what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? We've seen there's, there's only two ways to travel. There's two paths. The path of the righteous or the path of the wicked. So let's take a closer look at what is distinctive about the people traveling on each of these paths. So, two purposes. The main point is the purpose or motivation behind the persons on the paths. Where does their allegiance lie? I think we have to ask ourselves the same question. And I think a good way to ask that is, Am I happy and content? Am I a happy person generally? Am I content in all circumstances? If not, why not? If yes, is it just because the circumstances are going your way and are in your favor? The problem for all of us as human beings, and this is the case since the beginning has been autonomy. We want control. We want what we want. And we want the freedom to pursue it. This is natural to man. And that's what motivates us when we're on the path of the wicked. One commentator put it this way, what is so unsettling about all of this is that what Psalm 1 and the rest of the book of Psalms calls wickedness is perhaps what North American culture promotes as the highest virtue, autonomy, being a law unto oneself, self-made people, sovereign, subject to none. In essence, what this commentator and 
the psalm is saying is that wickedness is simply people who make their life purpose themselves. I wonder when you ask yourself the question, am I truly happy? If you don't say to yourself, man, I sure have tried everything that I know to do to be happy. And yet, I still am missing it. I don't have it. If I could just have a little more money in my bank account, if I could have a different job, a home, maybe a better home, a spouse, or maybe a better spouse, children, or more children, more comfort, and the list can go on and on. Or maybe you look at your circumstances and you look around and you evaluate your life with pride at what you've achieved. The point isn't our circumstances, but it's our heart. It's what we love. Basically, the two purposes are it's either self-centered or God-centered. What we've found in our pursuit of happiness is that it's ultimately not making me happy to pursue my life and make myself the way I want them to be. But rather, being centered on God and making much of Him is what the psalmist says will give you happiness. Now, let's look at the two places in Psalm 1 where we see God's purpose for the righteous. We see it in verse 2 in the description of what the righteous person does. And then we also see it in verse 3 in a beautiful image of a lush, productive tree. How is the man happy? How are any of us happy? The happy person is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The instruction of the righteous person is God's instruction. Not other people, not the world, but God. The word law here really refers to more than just the law given to Moses. It's more broad than that and encompasses all of the word. Everything that's preserved in our Bible, ultimately. And the heart of the righteous says this about delighting in the law. Listen from Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Is that how you think about the word of God? That it's actually the key to your happiness? The instruction of the Lord is the happy man's delight. The word consumes his thoughts day and night, it says here. The righteous man doesn't just sit idly by, but is and expect to get happy. He comes to God because God has already given him everything in Jesus. 
He comes to the word and it says what? He meditates on it. He meditates on the word and on God's promises that are found in it. He memorizes it. He mulls it over. He chews on it. He sees the world and his life through its lens. And friends, there isn't a moment of time that he doesn't need to be reminded of God's truth. What produces true happiness? Being aware of God's purpose and pursuing it with your entire person, both head and heart. God's word helps us and the spirit gives us godly affections. It produces right thinking and right feeling. God wants neither intellectualism or emotionalism. And the righteous man is given as a gift from God an informed mind and spirit-transformed affections. This is the way the word works and the way God works. His word and his spirit producing in us the righteous, the right thinking and the right feeling. Jesus also said something similar about God's instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what's the difference between pursuing our own purpose versus God's purpose? It's imaged here as the difference between a fruitful tree and chaff. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So we need to ask ourselves, how did the tree get there in the first place? It was planted, or literally transplanted. It was taken from a place where it could not sustain life. It would have died. And it was planted next to water, given all the resources it need, needed to live. Who did that? The psalmist obviously wants us to know that God does that. The tree is placed by a water source, crucial for life. Now, the water source described here isn't like a creek that you know in, in the middle of the summer it dries up to barely a trickle. No, that's not what he says. This tree is planted by streams of water, streams, plural, fully, fully watered, will never dry, will never run out, will never empty. The water source is always there. And a tree that's been given life and all the resources to thrive, what does the tree do? It produces much fruit. It yields fruit when the harvest comes. But you know, friends, even more than that, what's beautiful about this picture is that the tree actually still survives. It doesn't wither when the conditions turn terrible. 
What is it? What does it say? It says it bears fruits in its season. It's not always harvest. There are dry, hot summer months. It's cold in the winter. The tree must endure suffering. But the righteous man who delights in the law of the Lord is sustained through that suffering. Its leaf does not wither. It's like an evergreen. It won't die. It's stable no matter what the conditions are. That's the path of the righteous. That is when you set your sights on God and pursue Him. Even when the circumstances aren't good, He holds you fast. He sustains you. He gives you exactly what you need. Think of a picture of a giant sequoia or redwood. Hardy, huge, supplied. It doesn't get phased by the wind blowing or a dry season. God does this for His people, for those who are on the path of righteousness, for those who seek Him first and not their own purpose. What's the alternative? Verse 4. It literally says, not so for the wicked. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. You know what chaff is? It's the leftover part of the grain after it's harvested. You know, I think of this image of, you know, the chaff thinks when the the grain is growing that it's a crucial part of the process. And when it comes time to harvest, it still kind of has that in its mindset. But then, what happens to it? It's left behind. It's dried out. It's dead. And the wind blows it away. It's not important after all. It's not the wicked who get favor with God. That's the chaff. Jesus, again, uses similar imagery of of a tree in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree, it bears bad fruit. So what's the point? Happiness, friends, that is true and abundant and lasting. The happiness that we all ultimately want is produced in us by God. It's a gift from Him to all who pursue the path of righteousness. Tim Keller, in a sermon on Psalm 1, puts it this way. If you pursue happiness first, and then righteousness, you get neither. But if you pursue righteousness and then happiness, you get both. Happiness is a byproduct of pursuing the righteous path, of pursuing God first. Said another way, happiness is not human produced. Only God can give this to you. Your purpose, your pursuit, your aim in life, should be God first. And then God, who has given you everything in Jesus and owes you nothing, will make your pursuit worth it. He will give you himself and righteousness and happiness to go along with it. And happiness that lasts. It will not fade. 
It cannot be taken away, no matter the conditions. Now, you might be thinking, man, that sounds good. This seems like an idealistic psalm, right? But we know that the psalms speak to the truth that is seen in this world, that it's not always the righteous who succeed. In fact, the wicked do prosper for a time. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. This week, I've got to admit, I I had an experience like that. In my professional career, I was working several weeks on this project to, to obtain a client. And in the 11th hour, was told that they were going to pursue a different direction. Now, that's not abnormal in my work, but the way it came about was it was basically through a a self-interested third party's advice and recommendation that they pursued this other person instead of me and so what did I want to do I wanted to pity myself and I wanted to justify that I deserve better I wonder if you do the same thing or if that's just me But you know what I did? In preparation for Psalm 1, it led me to pray and to meditate on this, that ultimately my success in business or obtaining a client isn't where I find my worth or get my happiness. It's the promises of God and clinging to the truth about what He has done in Jesus for me. So I worked on delighting myself in him. It doesn't always go that well for me. Um, But I was able to catch that pretty easily, thankful for my wife as well. Um, But I wonder if my example seems a little trivial to you. Maybe you have something very hard going on in your life. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. This is great talk about pursuing righteousness and getting happiness, but I don't have it. All I see is the wicked prospering. Here's how the psalmist said it in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who, per- to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease. They increase in riches. This is a picture of injustice and violence. And the prosperity of the wicked. What about the path of righteousness? And the pursuit of God. What do we do with that? Well, lastly, we come to two promises. This is what we do with it. We've looked at two paths. We've looked at two purposes. And now we take up two promises. Psalm 1 gives us two promises. One is a warning. And the other is an encouragement. 
Let's start with the warning first. The warning is the promise for the wicked. The psalmist is very clear here in verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Folks, life and death is at stake here. Our assessment of which path we are on matters. The way of the wicked will perish. There's separation, there's destruction, there's death, and there's judgment. Nobody wants to hear that. But the Bible is clear that that is true. And so we stand on it. Anyone made aware that they are on the path of the wicked, destined for destruction, you are here now warned. There will be justice. Your sin and wickedness will be accounted for. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 73? Let's turn to that again real quick. Why is it that the wicked are prospering? Why is it that the righteous suffer and the wicked thrive? The psalmist doesn't get his answer, by the way, but listen to what he does get. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. It's coming. Justice will prevail. And the Lord, He is so patient and so kind to all of us because we all at one point were wicked. The Lord, while He waits, not wanting any to perish, will bring judgment and He will make all things right. And you do not want to be on the other end of that promise. With the only merit you have to stand on is yourself. If that's you, the gospel is for you this morning. If you come to Jesus, if you respond to his call to come and follow him, you know what you get? You get forgiveness of sin. You do obtain righteousness. You will have happiness in him. Turn from yourself and turn to Jesus. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The price, this price has been paid in the cross of Christ. Will you accept it and follow him? Come and drink from the only waters that will satisfy. Hear Jesus' words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. From death to life. That's for those who turn from the wicked path. Now what about the promise for the righteous? The promise for those who respond to God's grace by pursuing Him is blessing and happiness and delight and prosperity 
not in the way that we think of it, not in the way our culture thinks of it, but in a way that lasts and will sustain you through all circumstances. First, a word on prosperity here in verse 3. This prospering cannot mean the health and wealth gospel. I want to be very clear. Because if that was the case, it contradicts everything that we hear in the Psalms and everything that we see in reality. There are many wealthy, evil, wicked people in this world. And many Christians are poor. The same thing for their health. So it is not, if you get on this road to pursue God, that everything will just go well. There will be seasons of hardship. But God will be with you. The other reason that this can't be what prosper means is actually the image of the tree. What do these trees do? They produce fruit. Bearing fruit is actually about bringing refreshment and nourishment to others. The fruit produced is not for the tree itself, is it? But for others. So what is meant here by prospering is to be stable in all seasons and to be a benefit to others. That's what it means to be on the righteous path. Now, how do we know that this promise of spiritual happiness will be kept? Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This knowing is literally an intimate knowledge, a watching over, an embracing of you, a caring for, protection of your life. The God of the universe who created all things and sustains it by a word cares about you and will provide for you and protect you. He's bought your life at a price of his son on the cross. Do you not think he will go to whatever ends to keep you to the end? This is why the happy person delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. There's a knowing, there's a relationship with the Lord. And this relationship will keep you and this righteous man happy even in the winter months and the dry seasons. The Lord doesn't leave you to yourself, but he comes to us through his word and in his spirit. The question is, are you preparing your heart and mind to be happy? Jesus told us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So ask yourself, which path are you on? What or who am I pursuing? What's my purpose? And what promise am I resting in? Are you pursuing happiness that is lasting and deep and God-honoring? Or that which will be driven away by the wind and ends in judgment? Blessed is the man who is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Pray with me. Father, we want that. We all want to be happy. 
with a spiritual, biblical, lasting happiness. We want to be trees that are firmly planted by streams of water. That whether it's in season or out, whether it's hardship or good times, we want to boast in you and have our joy sustained in it. Would you give us that? Only you can do it. It's a gift of your grace. And that gift has been purchased by Jesus. So would you honor that promise as we come to you in Jesus and Him alone? pray all this in His name. Amen.